morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Tuesday, January 18th. Local politicians voting on national issues. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. A month-long strike by trash haulers in the South Bay ended on Monday with an agreement between unionized sanitation workers and the waste hauling company Republic Services. Republic Services says the offer was their, quote, last, best, and final offer. The agreement came hours before a deadline set by San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria, who had threatened to take actions to compel Republic Services to honor its obligations. Details of the contract were not released, but the company says it It includes significant pay increases and other benefits. As the Omicron surge keeps demand for COVID-19 testing sky high, a new pop-up testing site has opened up in the Zion Market parking lot on Claremont Mesa Boulevard. The testing site is the result of a partnership among San Diego City Council member Chris Kate, the Asian Business Association of San Diego, and Broadway Health, the company running the site. It'll be open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., and it's free for everyone. After a record low last winter, the number of monarch butterflies is up this year. Encinitas Butterfly Farms owner Pat Flanagan says that could be from people planting more milkweed in their gardens. Milkweed is native to the region, and it's the only plant that monarch butterflies will lay their eggs in. Last year, there were fewer than 2,000 monarchs counted in California. This year, so far, there's been more than 50,000. But scientists still don't know why we're seeing such a dramatic increase. From APBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Donations come in many forms. A sustaining membership, a one-time gift, even that extra vehicle you no longer need. Learn more about the advantages of donating a vehicle. Here's how. Go to kpbs.careasy.org or call 877-KPBS-CAR. There's an old adage that all politics is local, but increasingly the San Diego County Board of Supervisors and local city councils are holding votes on issues that are also on the national agenda. KPBS reporter Claire Tregesser explains how they reflect our intensely partisan times. You're welcome to stay in the chambers if you conduct yourself. If you're not, you will be removed. Thank you very much. In September last year, the county supervisors listened to almost three hours of public comment. The issue at hand, abortion rights. Supervisor Nora Vargas made the proposal. It's important that all San Diegans know that San Diego County is a champion for reproductive freedom. The vote was one of several in recent times on national issues that don't have a direct impact on local governance of the county. In April, the supervisors voted to support state and federal gun control legislation. In November, to support a ban on offshore oil drilling. These are very much partisan issues, and the board's Democratic majority chose them for a reason. Usually, the two Republicans on the board, Jim Desmond and Joel Anderson, were either absent or voted no. The votes are likely done with an eye on future elections, says Thad Kauser, a politics professor at UC San Diego. That are designed to set up campaign mailers and TV ads in the next election. And, and, and part of the job as a politician is being able to, to take a stand and explain that stand to your constituents. 
Such tactics are nothing new. The Berkeley City Council once voted on nuclear disarmament and in support of human rights in Myanmar, hardly issues a city government has any jurisdiction over. But they become increasingly common in San Diego County, not just at the Board of Supervisors, but local city councils too. Kauser says while these votes might be obvious political ploys, there are benefits to them. For one, they tend to increase engagement in local politics. What we often worry about is a democratic deficit where where county supervisors, local uh, city council members, school board members, people don't know who they are, don't know what positions they're taking and don't know whether they reflect their values. He says problems only arise if the votes happen so often that they interfere with the other business of the board or council. Republican San Diego Councilman Chris Kate says that's exactly what has been happening. The council began taking votes on several national issues, from transgender bathrooms to sanctuary state laws. I just said, I was not elected to do this. I don't have time to read and see all the debates of regarding Senate bills or court cases and the nuances of them all. And so I just took a really across the board position of, I'm just not going to vote on them. Kate chafes at what he sees as petty politics and says the votes don't resonate in Washington, D.C., where something could actually be done about them. No one's ever, I don't think, called us and said, boy, the city of San Diego's letter on this issue really moved the day and moved the needle on this topic being debated in D.C. I mean, I've never gotten that phone call or heard that. But local leaders should take a stand on national issues because here and elsewhere, basic civil liberties like voting rights, LGBTQ rights, and reproductive rights are under attack. So says Will Rodriguez-Kennedy, chairman of the San Diego County Democratic Party. It's important that people in, in Democratic states or just plain states that respect human and civil rights uh, do things to sort of counterbalance that national narrative. He says holding these votes informs the public on the issues they care about. The public should know who's in power and what their ideology and their values are. And if their values do not match with their their own personal values, the values of, of families throughout San Diego, what they discuss at the kitchen table, then they should not elect them. Kate says that has not been his experience. That has never come up, has never been a priority for, for residents where someone went out of their way to ask me, you know, what's your position on, on this federal issue? It's when are we going to fix my street? Why is my water bill so high? And that was reporting from KPBS investigative reporter Claire Tregesser. California utility regulators have quietly removed a controversial plan to reduce the benefits of owning solar from their late January agenda. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson says the move doesn't mean the change has been sidelined. The California Public Utilities Commission shocked the state's solar industry when it proposed dramatic changes to the rooftop solar marketplace. Solar backers called it a disaster. The proposal slashed the rate paid to residents when their solar panels generate extra electricity. The plan also imposed the steepest in the nation grid connection fees, close to $60 a month for a typical customer with solar. A final decision on the plan was expected to be made by the commission on January 27th. But it is not on the agenda released late last week. Solar backers say that's not necessarily good news. It may just mean delaying the change. 
However, the governor has hinted publicly the proposal needs to undergo some changes before regulators make a decision. And that was KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson. In Imperial Beach, the holiday weekend ended with another round of beach closures. KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis has an update on the cross-border sewage pollution. Surf in San Diego has been firing all week. It's been the best swell of the year, so says Imperial Beach surfer and mayor Serge Didina. Every surfer on the coast knows we've had one of the most epic swells well, in a year, right? Just perfect surf everywhere. Didina surfed Ensenada, Sunset Cliffs, and La Jolla this week, but not Imperial Beach. In fact, it's been more than two years since Didina last paddled out in his hometown break. I haven't surfed IV since October 2019. Um, pretty much every time I went in the water before that, the water's polluted. The last time I surfed here, the water was polluted. And I'd go in the water, and then I'd have to let the lifeguards know and, and then authorities know that the beach was polluted because you're in the midst of sewage. And I just, I got so sick, I had two ear surgeries, uh, two sinus surgeries, that I just can't afford to get sick anymore. A recent study by the Scripps Institution of Oceanography at UC San Diego shows that the water might actually be even more polluted than we thought. The study came about because researcher Falk Fennerson kept hearing IB surfers say that the water smells funny even after a test showed it was safe for them to swim. What would happen is the surfers would say, hey, we taste like during Southwell events, like the water tastes like laundry detergent or, you know, chemically or like sometimes like sewage or, or fecal stuff. The source of this pollution is in Mexico specifically at Punta Bandera, where sewage from a nearby treatment plant is dumped into the ocean six miles south of the U.S. border. South swells push that pollution north to Imperial Beach. San Diego County determines pollution levels by testing the ocean water for amounts of specific bacteria known as fecal indicators. These include things like E. coli. That bacteria dies very quickly in sunlight. So it takes like a day and a half to two days for the flow to get from Punta Bandera to IB. So if it's exposed to sunlight in that period of time, the microbes that they're testing for are gonna die. But viruses like the norovirus, which the county does not test for, do survive the journey. And it's making people sick. The team has briefed county officials on their findings. And the EPA will use this research to help decide how to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on infrastructure projects to solve cross-border sewage. Dedina is optimistic. Despite the, the closures and the ongoing pollution crisis, uh, we do have some progress on the policy and planning front. So the EPA director, Michael Regan, announced a $600 million plan, a comprehensive solution that would involve fixing the, the river flows, the canyon flows, and what's coming out on the beach. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News. Coming up, we have a report on how the pandemic has affected the mental health of the undocumented community. That's next, just after the break. I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, 
Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. The pandemic has affected our mental health in ways we're just only beginning to understand. For the undocumented, the problems of the pandemic has created an added layer of anxiety on top of an already deeply uncertain world. From the California Report, KPCC's Robert Garova explores how the pandemic has shaken the mental health of the undocumented community. Norma Ramirez entered the U.S. without legal authorization when she was five. She says growing up in Las Vegas, she always did really well in school. Then, Ramirez couldn't get into a college prep program because she didn't have a social security number. I grew up thinking that I could pursue anything that I wanted, and suddenly it was like, nope. Eventually, she did manage to get into college. Later on, she got temporary legal status through the Deferred Action for Child Arrivals Program, or DACA. When Ramirez went to work for an immigration nonprofit, she was so struck by the mental health struggles of undocumented people that she decided to make psychology her life's work. Ramirez sought help with her own mental health, too, but she went through three therapists, one of whom tried to give her legal advice. They also were like, you know, if you want to be a therapist, like, go to Mexico. Now, Dr. Ramirez is a clinical psychologist who works in the Northridge area, mostly with children. She says she's proud of being able to provide the culturally competent help she didn't get as a kid. Many of her clients are Latino and are in families with mixed immigration status. Ramirez says for many undocumented families, the pandemic became yet another worry in an already vulnerable existence, especially if the whole family isn't together in the U.S. Not being able to visit family if they are sick. I think it just makes the wounds deeper, you know, like can't even say goodbye or something like that. Ramirez was not immune to that stress. The continued uncertainty of the DACA program's future and finishing grad school during the pandemic took a huge emotional toll on her. Just overwhelmed with stress that, yeah, my body just was not responding the way it would have normally. Ramirez says she completely blocked out some of 2020 from her memory. She's not alone in her suffering. A national survey by an immigrant rights group found the majority of respondents said COVID-19 affected their emotional health. More people mentioned impacts to their mental health than they did to their physical health or financial situation. As an immigrant myself, I have to say, like, it doesn't surprise me. Juliana Macero Donasamento is senior advocacy manager at United We Dream, which conducted the survey. Everything that has to do with COVID has an immigration component to it. If we lose our jobs, then like, do we lose maybe a visa that we might have that's connected to it, right? If we get sick and we have to go to the hospital, will we be picked up by ICE? Mental health concerns also rose to the surface in a survey last year of more than 1,000 undocumented undergrads at California public universities. About one in three reported anxiety and or depression at a level that warranted clinical treatment. Mercedes Valdez is a professor at Cal State Sacramento and worked on the survey. A lot of these students live in homes where they don't have their separate bedroom, where they would be able to attend class virtually uninterrupted. 
a lot of these students had to take care of younger siblings or children. Valdez says she'd like to see colleges hire more counselors, especially ones familiar with issues that concern undocumented people. Dr. Melanie Domenech-Rodriguez is a psychology professor at Utah State University. She led the United We Dream study. Domenech-Rodriguez says it was heartbreaking for her to see the level of mental distress undocumented people were reporting. But she says there were some encouraging signs, too. There were a lot of strengths. And when we looked at people's coping styles, we see that people are using mostly pretty effective coping strategies. Those strategies included meditation, exercise, and binging Netflix, too. Juliana Macedo de Nascimento of United We Dream has also had to find ways to deal with life in the pandemic, especially as a DACA recipient waiting to find out if the program will survive. One of the biggest breakthroughs I've had in therapy was finally accepting and realizing that it's a completely reasonable and, and rational reaction to my circumstances to have anxiety and depression. It's not that there's anything broken inside me, she says. It's just my situation. And that was KPCC reporter Robert Garova. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a blend of computer science, statistics, and domain expertise. Learn more about University of California San Diego's online Master of Data Science program at omds.ucsd.edu.